when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I promise we're not going to focus on the toad dick course today, but we are going to open on it. So heads up for all those who are uncomfortable with this sort of body talk or this kind of uh, juxtaposition between toad and uh, Donald Trump's penis. To compare the president's penis to a Mario character is merely to be the latest in a very long line of people leveraging the icons of one of the most beloved video game franchises of all time into bizarre new memes. For anyone coming at this simile as a close follower of the president, it can seem odd. For anyone who likes Mario games and uses the internet, it is the most normal thing in the world. That was from Brian Feldman in a select all piece titled, Why We Love Thinking About How the President's Penis Looks Like Toad from Mario. And the title of that article tells you exactly what you need to know in case you didn't know already. I'm Danielle Riendo, and this is Waypoint Radio, episode 188. Joining me here today, whether they want to be or not, are Natalie Watson. I don't love thinking about how Toad is yeah. a penis. Yeah, I, I, I'm here for you. Uh, Rob Zachney. I'm just here for the segue. <laughs> Good. Happy about <laughs> it. And Patrick Klepek. Dick, 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 dick. <laughs> I hate this okay. already. Please, eject. Austin, can I leave this? Okay. Where's Austin? I dick, need to leave. Dick, 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 dick. My my Austin just called and he said I need to go home right now immediately. That's correct. Uh, so, <laughs> like I said, we I promise you, dear listener, we are not centered on the dick course today uh, because I think it's much more interesting to look at why the Mario series, in particular. Uh, tends to inspire these kinds of references. And I'm not just talking about this one particular thing, which, again, we're not going far into, but if you were on the internet, you know what I'm talking about, and if you heard the name of that article, you know what I'm talking about. No, it's not just this. It's things like people being obsessed with Mario's nipples. I am that girl. You are that. Okay, well, see, now you understand. There's yeah. a lot of adult sort of content happening. Uh, of course, I'm also talking about Luigi's dick being uh, 3.7 inches flaccid which some uh, internet historians slash scientists figured out uh, from a Mario Tennis Aces picture of Luigi. Uh, And (laughs) also things that have nothing to do with sex or sexuality or bodies, like Luigi, uh, sorry, Yoshi's tax fraud meme, which is a meme where uh, Yoshi is happily jumping and the text upon it says, I committed tax fraud. (laughs) This was around. Uh, Also things like Luigi being dead and killed by death. So, there's a lot of evidence for Mario characters being used in like weird, bizarre adult situations that, that are not just limited to sex or bodies. Uh, and I kind of want to open up the floor with a question of why does this happen so often? And then we're going to get into why is it kind of funny? 
and then we're going to go even deeper. So, uh. Natalie, you look like you have some <laughs> strong thoughts on the matter. Uh, why? Because the internet is bad and <laughs> likes to ruin things that I like, a.k.a. Toad, and likes to just burn it to the ground and ruin it for me forever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess there's just so little information about who these characters actually, like, what, who are, who's Mario? Who is Mario? Who is he? Yeah. Who's Toad? I don't know. Who is Toad? Well, I suppose the Supper Mario Broth uh, author might have a different opinion about that. Yeah, like absolutely. He knows deeply. Uh, he has not responded to the revelations of the past <laughs> couple of days, and privately, when I asked, it was a emphatic no comment. <laughs> so, Eric Frosty you know, good for him. Good for him. He deals in <laughs> facts, all right? Um, That's right. He deals in facts. Was it earlier this year? I wrote a piece about uh, Fortnite pornography or you know like uh, of the of the uh, of the drawn kind and like the answers i got from um different artists i talked to um was that the reason they were drawing fortnite pornography was because it was a blank slate because there was nothing to inform it and so these artists essentially got to take a cool design and then project whatever they wanted onto it or in, or in the case of people asking for requests they could project whatever those people wanted onto onto those characters because all you had was a striking design and like that was it and so i think there is there's a natural tendency to sexualize everything um <laughs> and yeah. then when you are presented like that happens regardless of whether there is a uh a background to a character or to a world um, like the internet will find a way to to do that. Um, someone that'll either be someone's particular thing, or they will turn it into a thing because someone hasn't done it before. Um, and I think you know this especially happens with you know stuff that is family focused because the I mean like Nelly said like there is a the internet has a tendency to corrupt things because they find glee in corrupting things and like d- zeroing in on sexual preferences and sexuality and eroticism of Nintendo, like that's like falls 100% within that ballpark. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> we found the horny in Mario in and Mario's like, let's, nipples. yeah. And yeah, it's, it's something where like, it, it feels like you're kind of, you get, it's like a sort of like an inside joke almost where you get to just kind of revel in this, like, it's non-obvious information, and then when that information is presented to, uh, like, not oblivious, but people who are not in the know about about that sort of thing, about horny Mario or whatever, you get to kind of have your own, like, he he aside or whatever, you know? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um. Uh, Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> Natalie's just in a reverie I'm, right now. I'm so not, in a, not into Mario, but somewhere I think she she found mentally she found the thing she was into. I don't know what that is, but she was like mm. having feelings over here. Is that horny somewhere. Garfield thing? Absolutely oh, not. Yeah, I'm not a part of horny Garfield what is, fandom. What is that Cheddar Goblin getting up to at night? That oh. I am thinking about. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely that element of 
corrupting something that is sort of aggressively naive and and not asexual is the wrong word but it's just not it's just not sexualized it's not supposed to be uh and the nintendo characters are such aggressively cutely charismatic blanks that they do invite like imagine them in the most heinous fucking scenarios like this was the premise of um like a robot chicken series of sketches right where like oh what if um Mario and Luigi were driving around and they took a wrong turn in video game land into GTA's Vice City. <laughs> and it's suddenly like Mario and Luigi recontextualized into, uh, you know, a city overrun with like drugs and violence. Like, wouldn't that be hilarious? Um, and I think that's kind of the appeal of of doing that with, with characters like these. The other thing is just that um, they're so widely recognizable right you know you know what i mean you know what i mean like that's like bringing up these mascots is going to evoke something i think that's one reason why stormy daniels you know said it was (laughs) this is going to (laughs) this is going to land this is this is a burn that people that is going to make its way out into the wider world uh because that is immediately going to like conjure images but also like be sort of luridly revolting yeah I think you're absolutely right. It's also and, extremely it is, funny. It is. That's the thing, right? It, it's very amusing. It's very evocative. I think part of it is also that it's so specific and colorful of an image. It's not just like, oh, random thing. It's like, no, this really specific toad image is really a lot. Uh, and that also has to do with things like people being horny for Mario's nipples or like, oh, my God, why isn't he wearing a shirt? Like, what's going on with this? People getting very, very, very excited for it. And it is absolutely something that uh, is kind of fun to write, right? I remember writing a piece. This wasn't specifically about this kind of stuff, but it was about whether Mario was human or not and sort of like getting an answer from Nintendo on that. And people were excited for that. I know that piece like did particularly well because it's like, this is a funny thing to ponder the like humanity or, you know, adulthood or the sort of like reality of these bonkers characters who have been around for 30 plus years who have weird adventures and have weird backstories that sort of intermingle. Of course, there's the whole thing about how every Mario series game is about somebody ruining somebody else's vacation. Like that (laughs) that old trope, right? Like, Oh, they came to dinosaur Island. Oh no. They came to the, tropical i'll delfino excuse me pardon me Mm. i need to make sure i get my mario sunshine terminology correct yeah another aspect i kind of wanted to get into uh is why the hell is everyone obsessed with who is whose father slash mother and who has reproduced whom in the in the mario (laughs) series because that continually comes up and it comes up and it comes up and it comes up and it's it's weird and interesting. Well, it is weird because if you're pretending it's a, a world that doesn't acknowledge sex, yet there are offspring, and there's not an explanation, other right otherwise that it's just like they, I don't know, just <laughs> like a like a uh, uh, gremlins, like they just kind Mitosis. of like yeah, like it just comes off their back when they get exposed to water. Fed them after midnight. Um, yeah. you know, like absent and a separate sort of explanation. It's like all right, they're fucking. So, <laughs> or not? I mean, they are reproducing by some means, and we just want to answers about what those means are. And, which, and it's you because know. you know it makes like presenting those questions to a company like Nintendo. Like, it's funny when they do answer, but then it's even funnier to po- try and pose the question to them because you know they don't want to answer. 
right? Like that yeah. is that is part of the enjoyment of this whole thing is knowing that Nintendo doesn't want to be dragged into a conversation about any of this. And but even when they do, right? Because they gave like a formal response about like someone asked them about the nipples um, at yeah. at E three or something like that once, and they had like a deeply like funny, interesting response. And then this is contrasted, right? Like all of this like fits in. Uh, uh, like Nintendo is decidedly non-horny, but then you have like the Fire Emblem Swords uh, series, which is deeply horny, um, and and has leaned into that, especially in the last what five to seven years, like basically starting with like the Game Boy Advance like DS entries, um, like they were like really leaning into that and the the way they translated uh, the text. I don't know how the original Japanese text goes, but like the localized versions of that, um. There was a lot more than wink, wink, and nod, nodding happening, and so like you have a spectrum of things. There's like a game explicitly with relationships where people are trying to hook up with each other, uh, and then a whole world of other Nintendo characters where none of that happens. And, like I think the parental stuff like fits fits right into that. Is 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 people like come trying to figure out the logic of a world that doesn't have logic? Yeah, but Fire Emblem is not made by Nintendo. It's like published by Nintendo. Oh, it's made it's by not... Nintendo. It's yeah, it's made by one of their internal divisions. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. Um, what I was gonna say to your point earlier, Danielle, about like I think Mario's world is so insular and it like doesn't extend outside of its own world very much, and so trying to figure out because there are parallels to our world, right? And that's why the thing with you know, Mario, like Mario's never really appeared in clothes other than like his classic overalls. And if he does, they're costumes that have like certain, you know, benefits like Tanuki Mario or whatever, Fireball Mario. But they all have like reasoning behind them. So seeing Mario in like a bathing suit was like, okay, why? What's the point? <laughs> or New Donk City, right? Like <laughs> or those humans yeah, are yeah, fucking. Yeah. Are yeah. they? Probably. They I don't must know. Be. They must be. But uh, so just like trying to. Yeah, trying to figure out, like, why or the workings of that world. It's kind of funny because I feel like we're kind of circling back to the Twin Peaks conversation that we I, had earlier. Which Mario is, equals Twin Peaks. We got it. Which is just that, like, there is a lot of arbitrariness in, like, in the things that, you know, um, people like Supper Mario Broth has found and the, the like, different findings in, in game manuals and things like that. None of them, I remember Austin was talking, we were talking about this earlier, Austin was saying that there was like in one of the game manuals that uh, blocks, certain blocks were characters that had turned in, oh yeah, Yeah. every blocks were characters that had turned into blocks, which is information, right? But it doesn't necessarily change any, like you don't get to make any decisions about the way you move through the world Unless you're like kind of making your own game out of it, if you're like adding it yourself, but there's nothing about the world in the world itself that's reflecting that, and so it is kind of arbitrary. It's like if you if you care, but it's never it's not really going to be explicitly referenced in the world, and nor is the world really going to react to it if you decide to kind of engage with it, which is. So it is kind of like just the, for the player's own fun and and probably for like the developer's own fun too, like going, you know, throughout the 30 plus years or whatever of Mario, just getting to add little like, and this and this, like different like bits of flavor text is just like fun rather than like world building in the sense that we think of it. And we want to make that into world building. We want to make that 
into like a, a lore of yeah. a Mario lore. Well, we exist and... in that world, right? Like we like in 2018, like we exist in a world in which like we expect complete worlds that have logical connections yeah. between them. And there's even contradictions within Nintendo themselves where like watching them jump through hoops to explain like the Legend of Zelda mythology, like oh, is yeah. <laughs> where they have explicitly acknowledged that they have like a timeline and the timelines of all the games sort of make sense and are retcon- like they are clearly retconning as they go along the way. And I think they've said uh, in like recent interviews about Breath of the Wild that like they sort of just like make the game and then figure out where it fits in later. Um, so there's a lot that that happens. But yeah, I, th- I think you're 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 right. Like that it's. Um, uh, like Super Mario is sort of like to him. It just is until it isn't, and that's the <laughs> fun of it. But that we exist in a world of hyper analysis, hyper connectivity. We expect explanations for everything, or if we can't find them, there's a 45 minute YouTube video that will present a <laughs> uh, a theory of how how it might work. Um, that that's the lack how of how Yoshi's might fuck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the lack of information is fun, right? Because like, okay, yeah. if they actually did explain how it worked. That's way less fun, right? Like that, that in, in a lot of ways. That's midichlorians. Right, yeah. Like like the, the actual answer, they're like, you know, I don't it happens off screen and it's not gross at all. Like that's no fun. Like you wanna <laughs> like have like the weird explanation that someone uh, jumps through hoops to, to figure out and, and I think I think that's just the part of the appeal. Rob, it looks like he got something there. No, I was also just thinking though about like the other thing is the more information and context you add to these characters, though, the more they begin to have, like, an actual internal politics among themselves, but also, like, uh, poli- like analogs to the real world. And I think Nintendo has tread very carefully. Like, we joked on this podcast, I think, a while back about, like, how, you know, Toad, Toad's definitely a cop. Ted, Toad's definitely, like, some sort of collaborator who, like, upholds the regime no matter what. Yeah. And that's fun. But, like, there is no Mushroom Kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, they've never built that out into a world. that Like, you can't imagine, like, what does Peach do as, what kind of ruler is Peach? I have no fucking clue. As far as I can tell, she's got a lot of random, like... Pipes and shit, like littering her kingdom. She's got some security issues for sure. Like, yeah, well, of course she does because there's nobody else in that world. Like, there's no, like, (laughs) there's nobody there. It's like it's Toad. It's a palace, and it's a bunch of cutesy mushrooms and like sewage outlets just sticking out of the ground, like (laughs) beanstalks. Like, it's that's that's what it is, and so like it both invites that. You know, well, I can make the argument that it's extreme, like, that actually, like, the entire universe is, act, like, Bowser's the good guy. And actually, like, Bowser's tr- trying to, like, overthrow a corrupt regime. That's a fun, <laughs> that's a fun thought experiment. Because then you're like, here, here's me using all the tools of analysis to something that fundamentally gives you no handholds for any of that stuff. Um, and that's why I think Nintendo can also just sort of, like, tolerate it, right? Like, because... Nintendo can play like oblivious and hapless because in the text there is not that much there. There just there there isn't, and there likely never will be. Uh, and so the flip side of like you know fandom abhors a vacuum is that you're just going to also have to be comfortable. And I think Nintendo broadly is maybe until this week comfortable <laughs> with the idea that like people are going to read weird shit into your creation, but you have to know, like, they're not actually doing that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not with like repercussions or consequence. Like, you know, making fan theories about why, you know, or about the, the, the infrastructure developments that Peaches is implementing into the future of Mushroom Kingdom, like that, that's never going to affect the game it's, itself. And so there's, there's really no consequence to it unless you try to make your own fan made version of mm. that. There's, there's a line there, but there also is there. There has to be at least on some level, and maybe it is this week that actually hit this line. Um, you know, unless it was something incredibly negative. Right. Mario's a murderer or something like extremely, extremely negative or, you know, which I'm sure I am sure on the Internet. There's there's something about that. I mean, but it's Mario not like a, popular a murderer. Meme. He's murdering Goombas and Koopas. You're not wrong. They even and, admitted that he's punching the shit out of Yoshi. Yeah, that's like, true. Mario can take it. Mario sucks. Well, you can dish it out. Really <laughs> well, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, actually, I don't know. Mario uh, kind of sucks. Yeah. What's going on? I don't know about how, little, how I feel awkward. about that man's. Is a little awkward. I, there's another big question here that I kind of want to go into, uh, and I'm going to read a little thing. Uh, but the main thing is why this is so different tonally, and I do think it's incredibly, incredibly different. Uh, we find a lot of the Mario stuff kind of funny, kind of amusing, kind of fun to play with. Uh, whereas uh, a couple of days ago on the internet, there was a minor kerfuffle about uh, Sesame Street writer. Uh, revealing that uh, he always thought of Bert and Ernie as gay. Uh, so it's almost, it felt in some ways as not an official acknowledgement, but on some level, on some degree, an acknowledgement of, of that thing that I think a lot of people have kind of always assumed. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there was a taking back of that, and there was, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on. Uh, but, you know, of course, there were some reductive headlines um, that said things like, Bert and Ernie fucked. And, like, that feels gross. Like, that feels, like, a, a completely different, even though there's some uh, surface-level similarities. So I'll read a little tiny bit here from a piece that uh, uh, talks about that just a bit. Uh, a piece called, We're Still Going to Keep th- Thinking Ernie and Bert Are Gay, and There's Nothing You Can Do About It, from L, uh, a writer called R. Eric Thomas, just to explain sort of what happened uh, with that. The notion that Sesame Street mainstays Ernie and Bert are more than just confirmed bachelors who split the rent in a cozy urban apartment is not new. Way back in 1994, the New York Times read, ran an editorial entitled, Are Bert and Ernie Gay? In response to letters that had been sent in uh, to TV Guide on the subject, someone was writing to TV Guide on paper about whether two characters from Sesame Street had a timeshare on Fire Island before Joyce Vaughn was even born. Like the most successful of pop culture ephemera, it's an idea that has animated the imaginations of some and stoked the outrage of others for decades. It came to a head yesterday when, uh, for a brief moment, the internet believed it had confirmation. In an interview published on Queerty, former Sesame Street writer Mark Saltzman said, I, quote, I always felt that without a huge agenda, when I was writing Bert and Ernie, they were a couple. I didn't have any other way to contextualize them, Uh, end quote. The site framed the interview as a coming out announcement, and the internet quickly picked it up. But late yesterday, Saltzman uh, told the New York Times that his comments to Queerty had been taken out of context. Quote, as a writer, you just bring what you know into your work, unquote. But he has he was notably sanguine about setting down hard and fast rules about the duo. Quote, it's like poetry. It's what you need it to be, he said, uh, unquote. It's a striking contrast to Sesame Workshop's strong rebuttal and a now deleted tweet. So that's just a little bit of context about what happened the other day with Bert and Ernie. Uh, the main thing I want to focus on here is why we got mad. I'm, I'm using the royal we. I'm sure other people didn't get mad, and they probably thought it was funny. But why I, and I think a lot of other people like me, thought there's a 
major qualitative difference between Burn Ernie Fuck and something like the Toad Dick Course. Well, it was just part of it was just so silly because then I guess the now deleted I didn't know that had been deleted, but the deleted tweet from Sesame Workshops, which is like a the Sesame Street official Twitter, um, uh, but they said deleted that, that tweet. They yeah. deleted Apparently that tweet, wow. which <laughs> which had said that it's extremely bad. That's yep. a which wor- had said that's that even worse. It makes it worse. Muppets don't have sexuality. It was saying it said that like Bert and Ernie are are you know friends they we wanted to show like you know friendship whatever i'm not i'm paraphrasing oh, i don't remember as we have always said bert Thank and ernie you. are best friends they were created to teach preschoolers that people can be good friends with those who are very different from themselves even though they are identified as male characters and possess many human traits and characteristics as most sesame street muppets do they remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation yeah which is yo it's Okay, horseshit. you ever That's seen horseshit. a fucking Muppet show? Like, yeah. Okay, there's gender a couple... all over the place. Gender coming out the ass. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Muppets are real, yes. but also for me, like, and this goes back to the, like, especially with Sesame Street. Sesame Street characters have always operated on multiple levels. Like in the DNA of that show, the show was about making different types of people seem not other to an mm-hmm. audience of children. Completely. Easy example. Oscar is, is Oscar is, yes, he's a grouch. He lives in a trash can. Oscar is also a metaphor for people who live rough on the street. Yeah. That is Oscar. Oscar is a homeless person, basically in the world of Sesame street. That's what he stands in for. And the reason Oscar is important is because he makes that not se- seem not other, not scary. Oscar becomes Oscar is as much a part of the community as anyone else there. He belongs mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. That's what Sesame Street characters do. They operate on multiple levels. Um, and with Bert and Ernie, it's never been hard to sort of figure out like the other meanings that Bert and Ernie can have. Like when you're a kid, like for me at least. The the first way I related to Bert and Ernie was um, Bert is the more childish pair. Like the way Ernie tolerates and deals with Bert is an echo of the way a lot of people tolerate and deal with you when you're a kid, right? Like when you're when you're being a nuisance, you're a pest, you're curious. That's the first sort of thing you see embodied by Bert and Ernie. And as you get older, you start to realize like, no, it's all like. It's also about like how two people can love each other even if they don't always like each other. Mm. You know, it's in many ways like Bert and Ernie are portraying like deep relationship dynamics. Marriage. That's super dynamics. intimate. Super mm-hmm. intimate. Yeah. Living together. Yeah. Live in partners. Yeah. Right. And so to turn around and say like obviously they you know, obviously they're just puppets. Well, they're all just puppets, man. But they're they're all operating on multiple tiers of like analogy and Bert and Ernie. It was not hard to parse what that is, and this notion that it's they're just there to teach preschoolers that you can be good friends with those who are different from you. That's the point of the Muppets. Like they all do that. That is the point. It's a misfit band. Like in Sesame Street and uh, the Muppet Show, that's what Muppets do. They're all a bunch of misfits who are friends somehow, despite that. Bert and Ernie pretty clearly are like in some kind of like 
intimate domestic relationship. Mm-hmm. That's not hard to figure out what that is standing in for. And I think it's incredibly gross for Sesame Street to turn around and when confronted with like the writer speaking pretty plainly about the text of the show, the text he wrote and what its inspiration was, which is uh, sort of modeled after the relationship he had with his partner to turn around and say like, well, you know, obviously that's obviously that's absurd. These are Muppets after all. It's somehow insulting both to like the the body of work that is the Muppets and to gay people. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I it's just ridiculous because like uh Kermit and Miss Piggy are very clearly in a relationship and are very clearly attracted to each other and display that attraction. It's not just like these are two people who are married. It's like these are two people who have a fondness for each other and and have an attraction for each other and like you know like it's it's just there's romance there's romance and and although it wouldn't be like the worst you know like if Bert and Ernie were it's like it doesn't do anything to just say that they are you know what I mean like or or to not knock down the like yeah either to not knock down like the uh the canon like fans or certain fans have established or even the subtext that uh the writer was putting in like there's a corporatized version of that statement that is like we're open to all sorts of interpretations of our characters and we celebrate yeah. the diversity of blah blah you know what i mean like there's yep. a world where it's like okay we get part of our funding maybe you know like they're they're worried about some sort of backlash like I, you know whatever fuck you like i think they should just come out and say it but there's a version yeah. where it's like okay if you're not willing to go the complete mile then at least don't knock like the people who have like, this is what's different than Mario and, and Sesame Street, right? Like, people have been helped by what they've been able to identify and see in Bert and Ernie, right? Like, that is not true for Mario and the Mushroom Kingdom. Maybe that person exists, and I respect you. But, uh, like, by knocking down those interpretations, in some ways you're knocking down those people and what those characters did for those people. And I think yeah. there was, like, such a much better way to to handle this in which you can respect those interpretations of the characters, even if it's on a corporate level, you were unwilling to go the full mile on, 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 on acknowledging like the large understanding of what those characters and the different textual ways you can interpret them. Well, and it's not like people were asking for like, yo, so like when the camera's not rolling, totally meet the feebles at Sesame Street. Right? Like, <laughs> oh that's God. not what people are at. Like, that's not what people are asking right. for in terms of representation. Like, it's not like, well, you guys showed Miss Piggy and Kermit fucking. Like, that's never happened. That's not like, that's like, yes, they are puppets. This is where the limited, like, this is where, like, this is how puppets work as, as characters. And Again, if you've seen Meet the Feebles, it gets really strange when you when you push those when you push what a what a what a puppet can do. Uh, it gets pretty fucking weird. Um, yeah. Deeply, I do not like that movie. A lot <laughs> of a, a lot of Peter Jackson's earlier films. I think are dog shit. Yeah, but I think to to answer your question from earlier about like why is there such a difference when you know seeing the headlines like Bert and Ernie are they fucking versus like. Mario's nipples or whatever like with with Sesame Street it is very much a I don't know how to describe this but it it is children's programming 
like, for toddlers. It is for yeah. toddlers. It is not like the things that it is teaching are like like values and and it is it is actively trying to teach things to very very young children and to their benefit to to the society's benefit let's say um mario isn't necessarily have in the text that it's trying to teach us lessons about you know I don't know how to live our lives, right? Like it's how to live our lives, it's yeah. how to jump from platform A to platform B, yeah, not how to yeah. how to get from job A to job B and like live a, a life that you feel is worth living. Like it's just like the va- the values embedded in like what the, the the artifact is trying to you know the the art is trying to do are just completely uh, different. And it's also yeah, interesting it's- because uh, like this is a uh, I w- when I saw this playing out, I couldn't help but think of like the increasingly um like JK Rowling is a frustrating creator as someone who like <laughs> I thought is about a it too, yeah. huge like huge Harry Potter fan like like was like as fanboy as you can get about like those books every time I was at the midnight like releases like I just I was deeply I didn't into know this. Oh, wow, yeah, oh yeah loved wow. loved Harry Potter like loved the movies like I'm all Harry Potter so um but what is so frustrating about her and her approach to like that seven book run afterwards is how she has handled like deeper texts to the characters, right? Like the most famous example is like after the fact saying, well, actually Dumbledore was gay, even though there is like no real evidence for that in the books. Like, oh, he's gay, but you were unwilling to like mention that, show that, display that in the seven run. You're just going to do this on Twitter after the fact. And And that's one of her more textually supported claims about you can go back you can you can go back yeah right she's done all sorts of this bullshit and yes you can go back and read into things but it's still like he doesn't like kiss anyone right you know what i mean like there's right, it, it right. doesn't get it, 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 he doesn't and, have a boyfriend right and so i i, I was thinking about this uh and it's not oh, and in the new movies she, where she has a blatant fucking opportunity to just make that in the text he's, well, he's, he's not gay in the new Johnny movies Depp either didn't want to do those scenes okay but yeah well Ugh. like that's a whole hmm yeah, right? Yep. So, um, the first movie was pretty good, though. Uh, and, uh, but I, this was like, I was thinking of this relationship between, like, like head canon, fan canon, like, author canon, like, post, like, uh, a released of material, like, retroactive canon. Like, it's just, yeah. like, I was wondering, uh, you know, uh, how everyone else kind of thinks about, like, Part I think part of the reason people responded so negatively to that statement was the way, like as I mentioned earlier, like the knocking down of fan canon. But like there are all these different levels of canon, and I think a lot of the anxiety over this was like the uprooting of a particular view of the show, as opposed to just respecting those different ways. But like these days in 2018, like the the amount of canons you have to keep track of are like a lot. A ship full of cannons. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. Very good. Um, I think what's particularly painful, uh, I don't know, because having J.K. Rowling going back and just saying, oh, yeah, Dumbledore was gay, by the way, doesn't do, like, it doesn't, it's not, that's not, like, the, 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 it's like the bad flip side of what Sesame Street did, if that makes sense. It's like, oh, we're giving it to you, but we're giving it you absolutely, like, almost nothing to support it. And uh, it is a character 
first of all, Dumbledore sucked for like a lot. Like most of those books, Dumbledore was like a bad person and was like extremely, you know, left. Um... So the thing with with the way that J.K. Rowling did it is is by giving absolutely no evidence supporting supporting this like sort of like post post uh text uh revelation or whatever reveal and then and then giving it to a character who is like so deeply i don't know it it just like feels so wrong and so careless is really what it like it feels like she picked a name out of a hat it was like yeah dumbledore will be the gay one <laughs> <laughs> like right. so, yeah, yeah. There's a really interesting juxtaposition here because I was thinking, as especially when Rob, you were saying, "Oh, the salacious uh, portion of of Burton Ernie, the the Burton Ernie fucks part." Like nobody was looking for that. That's a that's like an old dog whistle, right? Of making sexuality about sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you know. All the anti marriage uh, protesters would say, like, "You're disgusting because you do these disgusting things." Instead of focusing on something like a loving relationship, that you know, I'm not saying whether sex is a part of that or not. The point is, in terms of uh, like the marriage argument for for same sex couples, was always like uh, consenting adults should be able to make whatever contracts that they want, and loving relationships should be recognized, right? And so it's that whole aspect. This feels like the opposite of like, oh, this sexless like you know like weird figure who's literally in the ivory tower all day. This sort of like bizarre. And again, I'm not the the Harry Potter fan, so y'all can correct me. I've seen the movies and I read the last two books, so. All right, that's where I'm at with this. Mm-hmm. It always seemed to me that Dumbledore really was like alienated from the rest of humanity in a lot of ways, which almost feels like to support your point, Dumbledore's the gay one. Like, okay, great. Thanks for also making that like a weird stereotype too of like this like very like alienated old man, basically like alienated from the actual goings on of his world or his society, which also feels like weird and gross but on a at that other level he is he is loveless like in a in a very strange way and i mean his his you know i mean it's been a while since i've read the harry potter books i was a super fan as well patrick um (laughs) i participated in a lot of harry potter fandoms at a very young age which was very (laughs) not chill but um yeah he i mean the way that he his relationship with harry was not you know a grant a father or grandfather or any there's there's no not even familial love between them it is very much in this like self-serving you know raising the priest preparing his sacrifice exactly yeah, yeah. exactly i i think of like like i don't know i don't know it, it there is like sort of a religiosity to it in 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 the way that you're talking about um Rob and so it just feels and that's a character who has no fucking future (laughs) right like that he's like spoilers Dumbledore dies like he he's he's it's like the most it's like such a silly like tragic like oh he was gay and he never got to love anyone because he was too occupied trying to like stop evil and you know or he was you know isolated himself and blah 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 it's just like it it feels so, like, arbitrary and just, like, kind of 
tacked on to his name and that's what feels so disingenuous about it and like there are way there are tons more characters in that book in those books that like I've chosen and in different like fan canons have chosen to read as gay or as queer at least who um, who's number 1 on the list Ron Oh Ron is straight Ron is the straight <laughs> Ron, Ron is the straightest and whitest character sh- in those fucking books. Ron is my straight ass bumbling ex. God, I fucking hate that. Just- I hate fucking Ron so much. God damn it. You fucking suck. Uh, no, uh, Natalie, give me okay, who was in your communities? I can't go don't make me go back. Come on. Oh, who? I don't want to talk. Who's about number 1 this. on the list? You don't have to. Um, if you want, if you want to, share I'm gonna say it's, it's not you. You're that's like what it was. I, I I was I didn't run in these circles. Like I'm curious, like right. wh- how the fans like which ones they read as in different ways. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's been uh, I. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to talk about this because it's like. See, I know. What, I, I, just, I know it, what. Like vault, Patrick is trying to crack open here because, like, I know what's behind that door, and like, it I, could I be fucking anything. Too. That's that's the important <laughs> thing is like the 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 ships the ships that like formed and like got a lot of like momentum behind them could be weird and surprising, and sometimes you might think upsetting, but they made sense when you were much much younger. Exactly. I think that's really the thing is that when I was much, much younger, you know, participating in these fandoms, I didn't really, I just wanted someone to be, I was kind of, I don't know, I guess I was like sort of like, I just want someone to be gay. So, <laughs> I, or I just want someone to be queer like yeah. me and I want to, you know, pretend that Hermione's queer. I don't know. But it's not, it's like, it is not su- supported. Right. In and so it doesn't matter. But that's also why it was so frustrating when she did that because yeah, it was like uh, like I uh, here's a bone like you know like it's like a feature list like eh, yeah. Gay, and again, I guess. it's been a really long time since I've I've reread the books, and I'm sure if I gave them, I've been meaning to do a reread soon. Yeah, so have I. I've like before um, before that uh, um that play comes stateside. Yeah. I've wanted to reread the books i i yeah, was so same. bummed by the way when the co-writer on a uh, cursed child is apparently co-writing the um his dark materials series for bbc and hbo i was like well shit that's gonna fucking suck <laughs> don't i the his dark materials is like one of my favorite trilogies of all time so i hope that i hope it doesn't doom it yeah i yeah, mine too. You want to watch Harry Potter, the take on the right, <laughs> Christianity? I don't, I don't think I don't think the person I don't think anyone involved with Cursed Child should be allowed within like twenty miles of Dark Materials. <laughs> like, did you see or did you read like the like? How did you have strong opinions about the Cursed Child? I'm not saying I don't have any opinions. I I didn't really read much about it. Get into it later, uh, but. <laughs> Right. Yeah, everyone's everyone's got some Harry Potter secrets on this podcast he's today. He's got some stuff going. But on. I, I, I think the 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 Rowling case is interesting because like she wants credit for like the yeah. the yes. so the, the times changed around her like her like her series is like explicitly about um like like England. And uh, Thatcherist politics, like it, it, Harry Potter, mm. is a period piece. Like it doesn't, it didn't take mm-hmm. place. Nineties, uh, right? 90s. Yeah, and like, yeah, like Somewhere. Harry's a mm-hmm. kid. I think uh, like a lot of the stories begin in the early nineties, and 
a lot of the um like when his parents were killed, I think it was like nineteen eighty four or something like that. So like uh He's going to school during the nineties. So he's my age. He starts Hogwarts in like nineteen ninety or something. Okay. Right. And and so like the books are both informed by those politics, and I think that makes them more interesting in a lot of ways, but also they're very much artifacts of uh entertainment when diversity inclusion representation of uh you know marginalized and and queer uh characters was not as important it certainly wasn't fashionable back then and rowling was more than happy to write a series of stories that were easily interpretable as about as about a bunch of middle class to posh british kids going to boarding school and learning to be magic and the only ones who were really bad were like cartoonishly shitty, like old aristocrats. That's broadly what that is about. <laughs> then the times change and Rowling sort of belatedly tries to like jump onto the bandwagon uh, with, you know, actually, I never say Hermione is white. I love black Hermione. <laughs> and it's like, right. Mm, OK, like, sure. But obviously not enough to make that canon. Right, like obviously not enough to dig into what that might mean for for anything, and so Rowling, Rowling's a case of like wanting like kudos or congratulations for belated and non-existent gestures towards for representation just for just not yeah. yeah for not saying anything in the first place and then like she she left it open so yeah but Sesame Street's Becky wants credit for being a good ally <laughs> is what it is yeah but Sesame Street is in a different position because Sesame Street is quietly like political from the start, but in the sense that everything is political, right? Like Sesame Street is trying to uh, create a world that teaches people, teaches children positive ways of navigating um, contemporary society. Right. And it was always interesting to me, like right from the set, the set of those early Sesame Streets, like Sesame Street was not like my neighborhood. Sesame Street took place in like a dense city. It wasn't the suburbs. And so fundamentally, yeah, it's the same, same for when me. I'd watch Sesame Street, I always thought like it was the coolest fucking thing. Like how awesome would it be <laughs> to like live in a neighborhood? The city seemed amazing. Yeah. Like, holy shit. They yeah. got like a convenience store with like, a cool guy, like on the, like right on the I corner. You just like walk down the street and there's and shit. You, like, I don't got to get in a car. He'll, like hang out with you and like chat and like, <laughs> give you like paper clips and stuff like that's awesome <laughs> and that was a choice even then they make a series that's not for suburban kids they 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 make sesame street you know they're not saying it's it doesn't have like instrumental political purpose but it has a politics and yeah. it's so disappointing to see that legacy sort of tainted by a much more modern corporatist like you know don't really have an opinion about anything uh, version of Sesame Street when that is so clearly that's the retconning turning around and saying Sesame Street doesn't have politics doesn't have real right. world it's yeah. the opposite that's yeah. that's the that's the there shift. was subtext they did the work and then are trying to strip it of that as a, as a you know the opposite of Harry Potter yeah that's that's deeply frustrating yeah there's a great piece and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes because I can't link it right now that also has to do with sort of uh how really deep Sesame Street kind of used to be like in the 70s and 80s they went after topics like how to deal with a death 
things that were very, very difficult, but that a child might have to deal with in their life. And the character of Big Bird being a sort of stand-in for, uh, like, the emotional intelligence of a six-year-old or thereabouts, and how a six-year-old would deal with certain things. Like, why is this person not in my life anymore? Like, where'd they go? Like, there's a really serious episode of this show that, like, really goes in deep on that. And uh, th- this article goes against the sort of Elmoification of the show as well, of, of being like a little bit more surface level, a little bit more about the singing and dancing than necessarily the sort of like, all right, we're going to sing, we're going to dance, we're going to have a lot of fun, we're going to be very colorful, but also you're going to, we're going to get into some shit. Also, here. they, like Sesame Street, they sure in. gentrified Sesame Street. Like, just like looking oh, yeah, at the sets did. today versus like what it was when I was a kid, it's like, what, what happened? And I, it's like, it's like Brooklyn. Yeah. For real. It's like, it used to look like Brooklyn. Yeah. Now what Brooklyn looks yeah. like, uh, you know, yeah, very, it's upsetting. Very, very upsetting. I think we can all agree that uh, uh, Bert and Ernie can do whatever the hell they want, and they were super gay, uh, and I'm going to keep thinking that no matter what, and it's fine. And also, it's funny when Mario characters are used in hilarious adult situations. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Agreed. I think we've all learned something here today. Okay. Unless there's anything else on sort of uh, <laughs> the way children's media is sort of used in this way or the way that family-friendly – because I wouldn't call Mario children's media by any means. We already made that distinction. But the mm-hmm. way sort of family-friendly media in that way uh, can be kind of used – Unless there are any other thoughts on this, we can go to the question bucket. Let's hit that bucket. All right. This bucket was a, this bucket question. It is kind of a comment, but it's a story. God damn it. It's a story. No, it's a story. It's a cute story. It's not really cute. It's an interesting story. Uh, but it's, it's nobody who's a major expert in Bill O'Reilly this time. So that's, uh, <laughs> I'm just <go>. kidding. That's <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Settle in, friends. Highway pointers. In the last episode of the podcast, you talked about games with lore. Uh, that worked, and some that didn't. I have to say the most baffling use of lore in a game I've ever experienced was Quantum Break. For the entirety of that game, it's a light, bland sort of attempt to make a sci-fi TV show like The Fringe or X-Files into a game. The main character is generic, and you learn almost nothing about him. All uh, all of the in-story stuff just seems to be very by the numbers. There's one character named Beth. She's not in the game, uh, she's not in a lot of the game, and I took her to be a wooden stand-in like a lot of the other characters. Then right before you step through a time machine, you see a notebook you can read. There have been dozens of objects like this, and they've been unimportant. As I start to read this notebook, it becomes clear that this is something she was given when she was very young, and it lays out every single important thing that will ever happen to her. The thing that was striking was not how important it was to the plot of the game, but how much it wasn't. This is a guide on how to be the person you want to be when you grow up. At times, it is literally the letter of encouragement you wish you could write to your younger self at their lowest moment. The kind of reassurance that purpose and certainty give us that we rarely actually get in real life. But it's also an omen of mistakes and deaths that she can never do anything to change. And there's two entries from this diary. October 3rd, 2000. Derek Stevenson has been bullying you for months. On October 3rd, you will push him down the staircase at school. 
You do everything in your power to resist this, partly to avoid the consequences, partly to prove this book wrong, but the terrible things he will say in that moment will be too much for you to handle. He'll pretend to cry, claim that you gave him a concussion, and you'll take all the blame. You'll be transferred to another school. You'll hope things will get better. They won't. It's going to be a difficult year. Whenever you feel helpless, just remember this book. You are special. You have a purpose that they don't. Hold on to that. And if it makes you feel better, 16 years from now, Derek will be working at a dollar store. He still lives with his mom. Next entry. December 3rd, 2000. <clears throat> Mr. Hartsbrook from next door will pass away. I came away from this notebook shaken. I was not expecting this sort of depth and vulnerability from Quantum Break. And from this, a book that you could completely miss. But then it took a turn. Something happens and you get separated from Beth in the time travel. When you land back in 2010, you find out she's been stuck in the wrong time for 11 years. And in that time, she's become uh, the strong, purpose-filled woman that gave herself uh, the notebook as a kid. And here she is now, a failure for the most part. You find a journal that she's kept for these 11 years and it's the total opposite. Uh, what do you do when you become the person you've always strived to be? And what happens when you find out that it's not what you've always dreamed of? The character you've come to know is totally broken and all it took was time. This all happens in the course of about 10 minutes in two word documents. Soon after the character of Beth is no longer in the story and we go back to TV town. It's still such a bizarre thing to have laying around a game that is so weak in comparison. Uh, he sent links uh, and then says, thanks for everything you do, Justin in Austin. Beth. I mean, that's that. <laughs> the fact that there is a like total separation in like a notebook, like versus the rest of the game, is not super shocking when you think about the way video game production and video game writing often works. Video game writers are, you know, when I've talked to writers that have worked on those sort of like separate like environmental documents, it's a lot less oversight. You're given a lot more freedom. You know, you're given just a much uh, larger playbook um, because you're not interfering with the assets of a game, right? So you can write whatever you want into those lines, and as long as it doesn't, you know, break the story, you're not, like, changing the level that someone has spent the last, you know, nine months designing and polishing up. So it's always nice when I think games find ways to uh, either, like, you know, increase the level of detail for, like, a side character or to kind of, like, do a tonal shift because, like, that's a spot where you can be expressive um, that doesn't have nearly as much of an impact on, like, the production of a, a game that is, is usually very expensive and lots of people touching on a single thing. Like, that's one of the rare instances in a video game where it's just a piece of paper and a person writing. And, like, you can do a lot more in that than in other elements where you have tens or hundreds of people and teams and money like it's just you and a piece of paper and that's 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 cool that 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 person that writer found found a way to do something well, interesting. i wonder though like if that's the case with this game because this is a sam lake game right this is remedy mm -hmm. so i wonder to mm -hmm. what degree like is this a case where somebody just had some room to run or is this the one of the signatures of sam lake making the kind of games that remedy makes which is like Oh yeah, we got a huge story bible and we're going to litter tons of breadcrumbs around the world to to inform it even though the story is going to let a lot of this sort of lie fallow, especially in Quantum Break which has this weird dichotomy like there's the TV show part and the video game part that don't <laughs> speak to each other all that much like um 
Beth is not a character you run across in the game part too much, but I want to say she's in a lot of like the TV show stuff. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a very strange thing, uh, but it's it's one of the things that I've always liked about Remedies games, particularly. I think the Max Payne games had a little bit of this. You know, you'd find. Um, you know, there were the TVs showing like little shows mm-hmm. in the in the world, and yeah. uh, that stuff was was kind of nifty. You had the sort of winking self awareness of the graphic novel cutscenes, uh, no, most notably where there's a cutscene where Max Payne tells himself like you're a video game character. Uh, but in Alan Wake, it's a Max Payne yeah. two, right? Uh, no, it's, one, it's Max Payne one. <laughs> Is that yeah. one? Oh, okay. Um, Max Payne, uh, not Max Payne. Alan Wake is where it starts to get really layered in that there is Alan Wake's career as a shitty TV writer. Um, well, not necessarily shitty, but like not a, certainly not a thriving one anymore. And so he's surrounded by like the Twilight Zone knockoff uh, fandom that, that he used to be involved with. Then there's his career as a genre detective novelist. And then there's sheets of paper from his supposed masterwork uh that is turned that has basically come to life and is eating the town of bright falls in alan wake um and then that approach i think evolves even more with quantum break which has tons of this extraneous material like quantum break i think even has like little diagrams and stuff uh from other characters you find their notebooks sort of like where they're they're laying out the, the causalities uh that have brought about this like time travel travel catastrophe um, I don't know. This, it, this is one of the reasons why I love these fucking games, even though they're so many of them are so very flawed. Um, <laughs> I love them because of these little nuggets, and that's kind of what captivates me. Yeah, I'm the same way as a player. Uh, we've definitely discussed it at times, but I, I am, I live and die by the details of a world. A lot of times, in in a game that has a world, basically, it's not just like a, a puzzle game where there is no fiction or no, you know, that kind of thing. Um, live and die by it. Just love, love, <laughs> love that stuff. Natalie, go ahead. Yeah, I yeah, I. It is so nice to actually. I feel like there's there is almost a, a good side to the story being kind of contained in the small space because it is like just you know a moment that you get to be a part of and and unfortunately or I don't know a lot of games take place over so many moments that like a lot of things can be lost in and like you know in lore in just like so many conversations and things like that like things get lost it's like the lore talk we had last week about you know being overloaded with that sort of thing but being able to just sort of stumble upon this thing and like and find it and just spend this like significant moment with it is um uh kind of special because it is unintentional and that's what makes it surprising and that's what makes it like feel you know that's what make it makes it stand out in in that in that time so uh i think it's you know pretty cool i don't it know cool. shout out to beth shout uh. out to beth shout out to justin <laughs> shout out to justin and beth uh appreciate it <laughs> awesome. justin from austin <laughs> that's right oh uh, good good times <laughs> 
All right. Uh, I think that's probably going to do it for us today. I think that was a good story to, to end on. It's very, very nice. Thank you, uh, Justin. Uh, if you have questions, comments, or great stories, uh, you can send those to gaming at vice.com with the subject question. Shoutouts, as always, to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. We're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. We're on twitch.tv slash Waypoint. And you can read everything that we write at waypoint.vice.com. Natalie, where can we find you on this grand internet of ours? Um, if you'd like, you can find me on Twitter at Natalie Watson. Thank, Thank you. you. Patrick, where can we find you? You can find me at dick, 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 dick. Yeah, that's where we can find you. That's a lot. Yeah, could you spell that for me, actually? Dick, dick, dick. I mean, I can count the waveforms. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thirteen dicks. That's thirteen dicks. Thank you very much. Very good. At thirteen dicks. Very good. Thank you. Rob, where can we find you? Online. At Rob Zachney. Amazing. If you want to, you can find me at Danielle R.I. And I will leave you with this one thought this weekend as you think about whatever you do, where uh, it regards to Mario characters and Sesame Street characters and all of the above, and that is be good and be good at it. Dick. <laughs> you know who wasn't being good or good at it was Ernie <laughs> when he painted a portrait of Bert. Sometimes I'm not sure about the health of their relationship dynamics. Yeah, sometimes. Like, is it all positive, though? I don't know. Yeah. But hey, that's Look, love. everybody has fights. Next week on Waypoint Radio. <laughs>